Um, I'm turning the mic now over to Martha Creek, who is here for number four of a four-week series, and we've been really enjoying this so much. So, Martha Creek, I'm going to mute my mic, and the mic is all yours. Oh, thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Happy Easter to you. It's Sunday, March 27th, and I hope that you found a way to um, experience God today in a way that is good for your mind, body, heart, and soul. And I thank you for this time, for the opportunity to sit with you in this awakening together sanctuary these these weeks. I've looked forward to it. I've enjoyed it. I've learned from it myself. And I hold this intention for us all that we are awakening together and that something here tonight in the way of an insight, a one-liner, a new practice, a new understanding will be yours to claim. I want to put out um, that I'm using the work.com. It's been offered every week. It's free. It is independent of any philosophies, religions, or anything like that. It's a technique of inquiry at the work.com and specifically under the work.com resources, videos, excerpts from books. It's all free. So I'd love you to find a way to those materials if you can. Also, the book is entitled Loving What Is, Living in Harmony with the Way Things Are by Byron Katie. The other books by Byron Katie include A Thousand Names for Joy. And it is another bestseller. And it is uh, taking excerpts from the Tao. And then um, applying them uh, to the, a life. So how we can use wisdom of the Tao, for example, to navigate our physical life. Another book is Question Your Thinking, Change the World. And it includes quotations. And I'll be reading a little bit from that book tonight in our session, uh, depending on how the time goes. Questions are always welcome. Comments any way in the world that, that I can support you. Um, I started this session with uh, looking at um, this week. Somebody said that they um, cannot love what is. It doesn't make sense that they should try to love what is. Um, it doesn't even seem responsible to love what is. So. I want to start the final class here with making it clear that I also do not love what is at times. I don't like what is at times. And the work doesn't require anything like that. The work is simple, a simple and profoundly powerful way of inquiring about what we believe, thoughts, concepts, belief systems, seeing that it's false thinking, seeing the consequences of believing false thinking, and the possibilities for us if we did not believe the false thinking. So opening a doorway, a new portal to another realm of existence, another realm of being, and then turning the false thinking around. So I don't love what is sometimes. I don't like what is sometimes. 
I'm also rarely a victim of what is. So there's a chance in every opportunity to bring acceptance to what is. So, for example, if we're out in the middle of the night on a rainy, cold night on a by ourselves and the tire goes flat, I don't know of anyone that's going to jump up and down with glee at fixing a flat tire in the rain late at night. So I don't know who could sanely love that. However, the whole power of the universe is there for us, with us, when we simply call the flat tire what it is, a flat tire. When we don't resist it, when we can stop and short-circuit the mind, the fear mind, which some people call ego, the fear minds being affronted by it, the poor pitiful me, the victimization of it, then we can simply resourcefully, innovatively, creatively, purposefully, intentionally fix a flat tire. So, if you love what is, good. God bless you. If you like what is, God bless you. If you don't love and like what is, no problem. Can you bring acceptance to what is? Herein lies liberation. Herein lies freedom. And as for me, I'll take it. I also have a question. Do you think that people can reach the same state of freedom that you've reached? And I don't think that people reach a state, the same state. I don't also believe that it's possible to know what state somebody else is at. So even though I claim to be at a certain state doesn't mean that I'm at a certain state. Just because somebody else claims to be at a certain state, thinking or being or enlightenment doesn't mean anything either because even though they're trying to express their uh, experience to us, we cannot know what they're actually experiencing. So there's no way that I can know another state of being, another state of enlightenment, another state of freedom that somebody can be in. I can only know what I'm experiencing. And the second I name it, the second I call it something, the second I give it meaning, then I've left I've left uh, being, I've left the state of being, I've gone off into the unquestioned mind that needs to know, that needs to figure it out, that needs to have the answers, and actually believes that it's possible. So I don't have any notion that there's a certain state to reach or that I'm at one state and somebody else is in another state. I believe in an evolutionary process. And my own direct experience is I cannot exceed my own evolution. So I naturally believe that that's true for other human beings as well. Um, so instead of trying to figure out what state we're in, 
we can actually do the work and use the work, which is a method to isolate, identify and isolate a stressful concept, a stressful thought, a stressful belief, any one word, any one liner, and question it from our own mind and then to examine to examine um, that thought's opposites. And I've witnessed thousands and thousands of people shift, become freer, radically freer, radically kinder, radically more uh, at peace, more creative, more joyous as a direct result of using this work and simply questioning what they believe to be true. So um, there's plenty going on uh, in the world that would keep us questioning. Um, and the mind um, is, 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 is patterned and somewhat addictive in its nature to uh, figuring it out, being right, um, needing the answers, needing to know um, that's generally fear-based and thinking that it has something to lose or it's not going to exist. So, um, To talk about, I, for example, I want to be enlightened. I want to be enlightened. It's like, what for? To say and believe, I want to be enlightened implies a future. And there isn't any future. And then we get attached to that. One by one by one by one, all of that starts growing bigger and bigger and bigger. So just a thought of I want to be enlightened goes out into a full-blown plan and process and should do this, shouldn't do that, want to do that, don't want to do that, need to do this, don't need to do that. So stress, 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 more stress heaped up on that. If instead you can start with the I, the I arises. And if you can catch that an I is arising, then it doesn't split off. Um, it doesn't start having babies and other thoughts. It doesn't start producing. So it's like an atom splitting. If you can catch it when the eye arises, then that is the only state of enlightenment I know. Because the second the eye arises and I believe it, I've left enlightenment. So to believe one thought, to believe one false concept, to believe one stressful belief system is instantaneous unenlightenment. So instead, this is a chance to transcend in the moment, thought by thought by thought by thought, um, this patterned way of the mind's operating system. And I don't know of anybody that can be transcendent forever, can always be transcendent. So this notion that enlightenment is a state of mind or a state of being is false to me. Um, 
the mind is all is infinite, always recreating thoughts, processes, belief systems. So I don't know how it could be that anybody can be transcendent forever. So enlightenment is a process, a, a direction to go in, not a destination. Um, so just in the moment now, in every moment, there's nowhere. Um, there's no problem in the here and now. There's no problem. The second we leave the here and now, then stress arises. We're off in the mind. We've lost, we've left enlightenment. So this transcend this transcendence thing is is a beginning and um again a process, um, a direction to go in. Um I'm asked um that the talk, the work seems to be about the mind and its thinking. And it doesn't say much about what is the role of emotion and feelings with self-inquiry. So that's not my experience. The four questions include, is it true? That carries a lot of emotion with it. Number Question number two, can you absolutely know that to be true? Again, profound emotion can arise there. Question three is completely uh, looking at what feelings are evoked. How do I react when I believe that thought? All the emotions are there. For example, if we're looking at he doesn't care about me, question three is how do I react when I believe that thought? Then we can watch the mind. We're just sitting there reading the paper or something. He walks in the room. All he did was walk in the room. And then the mind makes him guilty of walking in the room. It starts to judge him. He may even say, hi, good morning. How is it going? But our mind, in the mind, it could, it could, he could go any which way. It could go into, how dare you? You've interrupted me. You shouldn't have come in here. He doesn't care about me. He's inconsiderate. So there's no end to the judgments that will fly out over somebody just walking in the room if we're believing he doesn't care about me. So when I believe that, I superimpose, I project, I displace all those emotions onto him. Then how do I react when I believe the thought? Well, I was feeling fine, and now I don't. And all he did was walk in the room. My mind is telling me he doesn't care about me. So now I don't know why he's pretending that everything's okay right now. Then it goes off to find evidence. He doesn't pick up his socks. His shoes are sitting over there. He doesn't wash the dishes. He doesn't load the dishwasher. He doesn't do his own laundry. It goes on and on and on with the belief to support the already drawn conclusion that he doesn't care about me. So the emotions, then we can feel them. They rack the body. They travel all the way through the body. It can be the form of heaviness, 
uh, even upset, nausea. He doesn't care about me. He simply walked into the room, and the second he did, my life changed, all because I was believing one unquestioned thought. So it's clear then that thought always precedes the emotion. So emotions are friends. Emotions are doorways. Emotions say, use me, use me as your compassionate wake-up call to see what thought you're thinking. And therefore, they're very valuable. And I'm aware that people think and believe that their feelings exist apart from thoughts or They are aware of their feelings when they're often not aware of the thought that's causing the feelings. So it's only normal then that people believe um, they're not questioning what the creator is. The creator being that of thinking. Thought arose. You either believe it. Or you question it. That's all there is to it. And then add to it then that we are identifying as a self. And then people believe that their feelings exist apart from the thoughts. Because the feelings are what they experience first. They see it this way because they're simply unaware. So... Um, meditation, the work is meditation. And with practice, we can come to see that the thought is what's arising first. The feelings are effects of the thoughts. So as you do the work and get some practice doing the work, you begin to identify the emotions. They are here to inform you and they're often very loud and very clear and and certainly very intense at times. So the work allows you to get really, really still and to notice what you're thinking, what thought is arising, what story you're making up about it, what meaning you're giving it. Then you can see crystal clear, um, no mystery about it, what the cause of the emotion is. And then over time, you can come to understand that the feelings are effects. And then we're acting on those feelings. Then we're subject then to anything. A good day, a bad day, a good moment, a bad moment, whatever we're in touch with, that's what we're going to have. So it's going to go either way. It's all traceable back to a thought. Confusion is the only suffering. Confusion is when we argue with what is. When the mind is clear, when I'm clear, I can simply see and experience 
What is is simply what is. So I know when I want something to be different from what is, that I am confused. Reality rules and reality says this is what is. For me to oppose it in any way cost me my peace. A very high price indeed. So the day and the second that we want peace more than we want anything else. And when we want clarity more than we want anything else. Then we can land on what is, is. And this is radical in the way then that it implies that the world is perfect the way it is. Now, no, it's not perfect according to how we imagine perfection to be. It's what we're believing about the world that is the cause of the suffering and the chaos and the confusion. We are saying the world should be different than it is. And reality rules and says, no, this is the way it is. So if we were not confused, we could not harm one another. We cannot harm another human being, and we certainly wouldn't harm ourselves if our thinking was clear. We talked a little bit last week about criticisms, or maybe the first week, about criticisms and people rejecting us, judging us, and that. And I got a question about it this week, and I'll say just another piece about that, that Any rejection, any rejection from anybody on any terms about anything, any rejections show me who I'm not supposed to be with. Rejections show me who is not supposed to work with me, who is not supposed to be a client, who is not supposed to be friends with me. The world is... Life is showing me that. So when people reject me, they eliminate themselves perfectly. They're removing themselves so the right person or the right opportunity has the space to enter. They have to go in order to make room for who's supposed to be here. Not what I had in mind, maybe not what I was thinking, not what I was dreaming of, not what I was wanting, not believing uh, what I was believing I needed. So it didn't turn out the way I had in mind. It was perfect instead. And seeing the wisdom of this, then it allows us to stay open. To what is, to what's coming, to stay more open, accepting and understanding of people coming and going, of people saying yes, of people saying no, of people hire me, people fire me, people move close, they move away. And that's the condition of humanity. It's going to be both and. It has to be both and. 
and we were always, always, always teaching. It's just, what are you t- teaching? It's not an option that you're a teacher. Every human being is a teacher. Just what is it that we're teaching? So if I'm fearful, I teach others fear. If I'm empowered, I teach empowerment. So this work is about um, using, discerning, declaring, deciding what kind of teacher do you choose to be? What is going to be what you model, what you put out in the world? I've never experienced a stressful feeling that wasn't caused by believing an untrue thought. Behind every uncomfortable feeling, there's a thought that is not true. So this work brings us back and back and back and back again to what is it I'm thinking what is it I'm believing? What are the consequences of believing that? So tonight we were out to dinner with friends and we get seated at a perfect little table and the waiter comes out and says, just, you, just so you know, it's going to start raining here any minute. Don't worry. You can run right inside. There's tables inside when you have it. The mind would say it shouldn't be raining. It shouldn't rain. So that's how unenlightened it is. It would argue with the rain. We have thinking that argues with reality. Then naturally we're going to have stressful feelings about that. And then we act on the feeling, creating more stress and more stress and more stress and more drama And more OMG, OMG, and can you believe it? And more victimization ad infinitum. Or, using the work, we can understand the original cause of the stress, which is a thought. We try to change the stressful thoughts. By simply short-circuiting it, is it true? Is it a true thought that it shouldn't be raining? Can I absolutely know that to be a true thought? How do I react when I believe the thought it shouldn't be raining and it is? Powerless, pitiful, upset, frustrated, victimized. So I've just created that experience for myself. Who would I be in the same situation if I simply was not believing it shouldn't be raining? Calmer. 
relaxed with options, taking recourse, grateful, innovative, intentional, purposeful. I'd be who I've come into this life to be. So in more integrity with myself. And it's very easy to be swept away by these overwhelming feelings anytime we don't get our way. So it's helpful to remember to use any stressful feeling as that compassionate alarm clock that says, here, wake up, wake up, Martha, wake up. Look at what you're believing. Look at what is the cause of this. And from this place, you can see then that depression, pain, fear are gifts. They're, they're, they're prompting us. Take a look at what you're thinking right now. You're believing something false. You're caught in a story, caught in a nightmare. And there's a way out. So we're in hell hotel of the mind. And we've got the key to get out. And the mind, the prison we're in is a prison of the mind. And the door is wide open. So, cash in your ticket to Hell Hotel. Continue to investigate the untrue thoughts that will lead you back to who you really are. To your own essential essence of your being. And stop the hurt. Stop believing you're other than who you are. Question anything that would say you're anything other than whole and perfect, complete, and entitled to a divine inheritance of living out a different existence here. I want to read a little bit from uh, the book, Loving What Is. And then I'll read one section from A Thousand Names for Joy. This is from The Basic Principles of Loving What Is. On page five, under Basic Principles, Meeting Your Thoughts with Understanding. A thought is harmless unless we believe it. It's not our thoughts, but the attachment to our thoughts that causes the suffering. Attaching to a thought means believing that it's true. A belief is a thought that we've been attaching to for years. Most people think that they are what their thoughts tell them they are. One day I noticed that I wasn't breathing. I was being breathed. Then I also noticed, to my amazement, that I wasn't thinking either, that I was actually being thought, and that thinking is not personal. Do you wake up in the morning and say to yourself, I think I won't think today? Well, it's too late. You're already thinking. Thoughts just appear. 
They come out of nothing. They go back to nothing like clouds moving across an empty sky. Thoughts come to pass, not to stay. There is no harm in thoughts until we attach to them and believe that they are true. Nobody has ever been able to control his thinking or her thinking. Although people may tell the story of how they have, I don't believe it. I don't let go of my thoughts. If I could let go of my thoughts, I already would have. I can meet the thoughts with understanding. I can meet the thoughts with observation, with inquiry. Then they let go of me. So what I say, Martha, is um, how I describe it is as I do the work through the process of the work, the more I question the thinking as it arises, then there's no Velcro. So the thoughts still occur. There's just nothing to stick to. Thoughts are like the breeze or leaves on a tree or raindrops falling. They appear like that. And through inquiry, we can be more friendly with them. Raindrops aren't personal. Neither are thoughts. And once a painful concept is met with understanding, the next time it appears, you may simply find it interesting. What used to be the nightmare is now just interesting. The next time it appears, you may even find it funny. The next time the thought appears, you may not even notice it. This is the power of doing this work. Become aware of your stories. I often use the word story to talk about thoughts or sequences of thoughts and such that we have convinced ourselves that they're real. A story may be about the past, the present, or a future. It may be about what things should be or what they could be or why they are the way they are. Stories appear in our minds hundreds of times a day when someone gets up without a word and walks out of the room. We make up stories when someone doesn't smile. We make up stories when someone doesn't return a phone call or when a stranger does smile. Even before we open an important letter or after we feel an unfamiliar sensation in our chest, we'll make up a story about what caused it. We make up stories when our boss tells us to come into his office or when our partner talks in a certain tone of voice. Stories are not tested. They're uninvestigated theories. We've made up what we think these things mean. And we don't even realize that they're just theories. And we stop realizing that we've given it meaning, made it up, and then believed what we made up. When we're operating on uninvestigated theories about what's going on, and we're not even aware that we're doing it, this is what I mean when I say we're in the dream. Often the dream becomes troubling, frightening, scary, or even panicked. It seems sometimes to turn into a nightmare. At times like these, 
I know for sure to test the thought, to test the theory by doing the work on them. The work always leaves you with less discomfort. Who would you be without the story? Who would you be if you weren't believing your thoughts? The work allows us to enter the dimension, the only dimension that I know of, where we actually have some control. And we're desperately wanting to have some control. So the work allows us to enter the dimension where we have some control, which is our inside, our inner work, our inner life. As a reminder, the work will enhance any other program you're using. So please continue to use any program, any practice, any other way that you have to question, to observe, to enlighten yourself and use the work and anything else that you can to burn up anything that is not true for you. These questions have and continue to burn through to reality and a reality that we've all been speaking about, dreaming about, praying for, and looking for, for the most of our life. I would want to speak tonight about the concept of failure, of believing that failure is possible. Uh, in coaching clients and people on the phone and in workshops, they're, when we look at what they're really afraid of, they're often afraid of failing at something. So, Failure is not possible. It's like we don't have the power to fail, and we're afraid of failing, although it's not possible to. It's like life rules. So life's going to have its way, and it may not turn out the way we have in mind. It's going to be perfect instead. So it's like seeing then the truer statement is failure is a blessing, or failure is an opportunity Failure at a minimum is simply reality having its way. So I'm reading now pieces uh, adapted from the A Thousand Names for Joy, Living in Harmony with the Way Things Are. Chapter 79. It's impossible to fail at anything. Your success just may not look the way you thought it would. If your goal was to go from point A to point C, for example, and you went from point A to point B instead, that's not a failure. That's not a half success. That is a complete success. If you can go all the way to C, good. Do that. We love it when the dream comes true. But if you get only halfway There's no sane reason to think that you failed at that task. It is your job to open your mind and realize why it's better to have gotten to B than all the way to C. In life, there's a sweeter dream than the one you're having. It's called reality. 
Reality is kinder than your thinking. Reality is the ultimate dream, the kindest dream. We don't know where we're going. We just like to imagine that we know. I never believe it. That way, wherever I am, my journey is just right. Wherever I am, my journey is complete. I am a success simply because this is where I am. Our nature is goodness. Our nature is goodness. I know that's true because any thought that sees something as not good feels like stress. I cannot be rejected. It is not possible. If someone says, I don't want to be with you, that has to be good. He's showing me whom not to be with. She's showing me who's not going to be with me. I cannot take it personally. I also can relate because I remember a time when I didn't want to be with me either. So I can appreciate the way they're feeling. I can understand where they're coming from. I can also understand that the reason they don't want to be with me is based on what they're believing about me. They can't help what they're thinking. They can't help what they're believing. They simply haven't questioned their own mind. Every time you think you have failed, you identify as a failure. And every time this identification arises, other thoughts will surface in an attempt to prove it. So this is what I mean when I say in the beginning there was the conclusion. This is how the confused mind stays confused. This is how mind allows itself to live in the illusion. The illusion of a past that never existed or to live in the projection of a future that doesn't exist. If someone says, you didn't answer my email, I can respond, well, of course. That's not a failure. I simply didn't answer the email. So I can address it now instead of going into the patterned mind that would say I should have or I failed at that or I'm disorganized or, or, or. The real plan, reality, is always the way of it. The real plan eliminates the need for any plan that I have. There's no need for me to have a plan. There is a plan. So 
I get asked about this in almost every workshop. So, yes, I do have a plan. Yes, I have an airplane ticket to leave on Wednesday. Yes, I paid for it. Yes, I will show up at the airport. And no, I don't believe it. I don't know if I'll ever end up in the airport or not. I don't know if the plane will ever take off or not. I cannot know what's going to happen. So I have a plan and I don't believe it. And should I believe it and it not go as planned, then it's the thinking that was off, not reality. So thinking is off, not reality. The awakened mind is fluid. It's like water. It flows where it flows. It does not try to change anything. Yet, in its steadiness, all things change. When we stop projecting... When we catch the projection of the mind and we stop trying to rearrange the projected or the projections, then peace is possible. It goes in and out, around and over and above and below. It can operate without giving meaning to things. It penetrates where it can. It can delight in itself. Evil could not enter this heart. Serenity is possible. Even in the midst of sorrows. Even in the midst of fear. As we catch the mind's activity and what it's doing. And we know not to believe it then another realm is open for us. The master loves and understands her own nature. The master realizes that with every action, she is serving herself. That there is no separation, no other. So whatever I'm doing, I'm sitting at my own feet. So there's nothing that I give that I don't receive even the same motion. Even when it appears not to be giving that is what I am giving the fact that I didn't 
the master is a woman who can be less reactive to something, to a dent in the car or having someone step in front of us at the supermarket. There is no peace until we're able to do this. If our peace hinges on what happens, we simply will not have much peace. So this is your work, my work. This is the only work there is. The work of the master. And over time to see that we can give up the notion that there's someone else to help or give up the notion of helping only as we understand there is no other to help. That whatever helping I'm doing is to help myself. To be in service to the one. So the more I do for others, the happier I am. The more I give to others, the better I feel, the the wealthier I am, so to speak. My only purpose is to do what I'm doing, whatever that is. Your only purpose is to do whatever it is that you're doing. So I can understand spiritual teachers who are silent. I also understand spiritual teachers who would speak. be both ways it has to go all the way it has to take all the risk and to the degree that we can lose our attachment to things lose our attachments to words lose our attachment to concepts like success and failure it is free to give us everything It's free to give us everything that it is. Everything in the world is like this. Constantly giving itself. Constantly pouring itself out into the world. So to the degree that we can open to that. Loosen ourselves from the story. Loosen ourselves from the patterns. Loosen ourselves from the unquestioned mind. Then we're open to every single thing that the world would offer us. Life would offer us God, whatever your concepts of God are. And then we can see that on the other side of thinking, there's no need, no no seeking to achieve, no 
seeking approval, no seeking appreciation, no seeking acknowledgement. True freedom, at least for me. So consider who would you be if you were free from seeking approval, free from seeking enlightenment, free from seeking love, who would you be if you were free of seeking? How would you live your life differently? What would you stop doing? True mastery can be gained by letting go. True mastery can be gained by letting things go their own way. The more closely I look at things, the more I can notice that I really don't know what it is. A thought will arise. A name will arise. A label will arise. A concept will arise. And with it over time and with practice now, I have the work. And a silent question is it true, will arise. I am Martha Creek. Is that true? And as the question dissolves, every proof that the mind was bring in, over and over again, I am left as nothing. A woman sitting here on a chair. Whatever I see, I can see is infused with the light of mind. And that light can illuminate. That light can awaken. And that light can experience its own timelessness and its own essence. That light can dissolve everything, including the one sitting on the couch. Things are going to go their own sweet way, whether you let them or not. They're going to go their own way. The rose blooms without your approval, and the rose will die without your consent. Even though you haven't issued directions, planes and trains will run on schedule. The world is running perfectly, and it's all done without us.
It's all done without you. It's all done without me. And it's all done for me. It's all done for you, whether or not you interfere. And even what we call interference is life too, living itself out through you. Life living itself out through me. Life will continually pour itself out into us. Out into me and out into you. All we need to do is notice. The mastery is in the noticing. The work is a great blessing for our planet. It acts like a razor sharp sword. The work enables you to know for yourself the timeless essence of your being. May you be blessed in all ways and always in your work, in your practices, in your questioning, in your inquiry. And may this mini-series support you with any specific issues as it points you toward your own wisdom And I encourage you to question your own mind. Use these four simple yet incredibly powerful questions. Call the work and free yourself. You hold the ticket. I hold you in my heart as a friend and as the one. Until we meet again. Much love. Thank you so much, Martha Creek. And thank you, everyone, who's joined us through the four uh, evenings of her mini-series. You can find those actually posted on our website at awakening-together.org. And also, if you look under the Donate button, um, there's a place where you can actually put a donation in to support Martha in um, this work that she's been doing. So um, just, uh, again, thank you so much, Martha. And and uh, I appreciate it very much, and I look forward to having you again sometime. I hope so, too, Lynn. Anytime, honey. I'd love that. Great. Outstanding. All right. Well, goodbye, Martha Creek, and uh, I'm turning this mic over to Regina Don Akers.